Well, Junior should be studying, not wasting his time in idle chatter. Welcome to the Indiana Jones Universe, the podcast that explores the incredible adventures of the world's greatest globetrotting archaeologist, Indiana Jones. Each episode is a casual and somewhat humorous opinionated conversation with a slightly sophisticated analytical study of the expanded universe content from the Indiana Jones franchise. You can expect to find discussions about the adventures of young Indiana Jones, the further adventures of Indiana Jones comic books, the Staff of Kings and Emperor's Tomb video games, the Indiana Jones novels, the original soundtracks, and so much more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back uh, to another episode of the Indiana Jones Universe podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And today we are going to be exploring a topic that we have wanted to tackle for a long time on this podcast, uh, the educational aspect of young Indiana Jones. Um, as we all know, George Lucas's original intent with the series was to use it as a teaching tool to educate students about 20th century history. But the question remains... Has it actually achieved that goal? Are teachers and students actually watching the Young Indy episodes? And most importantly, what impact is it having on the future of education? Uh, so luckily, we are going to discuss all of that and more in today's episode as we explore the historical and educational impact of Young Indiana Jones. However, uh, we wanted to recruit a special guest for this episode, and there's one person in particular who is at the forefront of this topic. Uh, today, our special guest has been a historian, teacher, professor, administrator for over 30 years. Uh, he graduated from Furman University with degrees in history and education. Uh, he is a two-time TED Talk speaker, the founder of Imagineering Education, and currently he is the assistant director at the Roper Mountain Science Center. But most notably, he is also the creator of the extraordinary website and curriculum, Indy in the Classroom. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Thomas Riddle. Thanks so much, Will. I'm really honored to be here, and um, it's always terrific to find someone who has an equal passion for young Indiana Jones. Likewise, likewise. I'm so excited to have you here today and to talk about uh, this terrific website and curriculum, Indy in the Classroom, which, despite not being a historian and educator myself, is still extremely fascinating to me. And before we get started, I just wanted to kind of first talk a little bit about you. Um, to begin, how did you first become interested in the Indiana Jones franchise? Oh wow! So I was um, I was a George Lucas, Steven Spielberg kid. Um, not my childhood. <laughs> I was I was at that that sweet spot of um, you know I was eight in seventy seven when Star Wars came out, and I just immediately fell in love. And then I was I was twelve when Indiana Jones uh, or Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in uh, nineteen eighty one, and you know I was. I grew up on on classic stories of Errol Flynn 
and John Ford and, uh, you know, these classic swashbuckler, um, good versus bad stories. And so those kind of things resonated with me as, as a kid. Um, and the Star Wars or, or Star Wars itself. Um, and then, well, I guess Empire Strikes Back came out in 80 um, prior to, to Raiders. I was just uh, enamored with storytelling and already had a had a love of history from an early age as well. And so when when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, it was just this perfect storm of incredible, um, incredible action, incredible adventure, um, history, which I, was, I already loved. Um, at that time, I was already deeply fascinated with World War II. And of course, this is set uh, prior to that. And so, yeah, it's just, it hooked me from the beginning. And, uh, I, you know, I was, I was an indie fan um, from the age of 12 then and have been ever since. Well, that's terrific. And, you know, I'm interested to learn a little bit more about the initial concept for Indy in the Classroom, which is also known as Adventures in Learning uh, with Indiana Jones. What prompted you to realize that young Indiana Jones could be a groundbreaking way to teach history? And what was your first memory of watching that series? Young Indy launched in, um, in 1992, and that was my second year teaching. Uh, I was teaching eighth graders, um, eighth grade history. And when the series came out, I, um, of course, I like any other indie fans, I was very excited about watching it and was fascinated with the concept that we were going to have a backstory to this incredible hero and that it was going to be set in historical settings. And I didn't know just how deeply uh, it was going to be set in history. But from the beginning, uh, I would record every episode and watch it several times and then would create lesson plans based on those episodes. And when I found one that uh, I felt would fit the curriculum that I was teaching, then I would, would show it in class and use the, the lesson that I'd created. You know, I knew from an early, uh, young in my career, I guess, as, as a young teacher, that stories are powerful teaching tools. And, um, of course, also pop culture is an incredible teaching tool as well. And you want to hook, you want to hook students, uh, with things that they're interested in. And Indiana Jones as a character had uh, immediate interest for, for not, not all, but for many and had my interest, of course, but the, the, but the shows were so well done and the, they were just enough to tease you to learn more about the history that you see on the, on the, on the screen, that it was a great launching point for us to uh, either, either support what we were learning or to use it as an introduction to what we were learning. So yeah, I saw it early on as just an, an amazing opportunity to use in the classroom. Well, that's terrific. And I remember even when I watched the series for the first time, I was taking a world history course and we had just learned about uh, the religions of uh, India and Asia. And so I had actually watched Journey of Radiance at a very similar time and was also just very sort of kind of over the moon about the fact that Indiana Jones and history were put together. 
And when George Lucas and Rick McCallum created Young Indy, they felt that history was being sort of badly taught in America. And I think it's fair to say that, that some teachers in public school systems struggle with getting their students engaged, interested, and focused in the subject of history. Why do you think Young Indiana Jones is such a beneficial teaching tool for students? What specifically about it do you think was um, a great tool for them? Well, George is a master storyteller. While the scripts were written by different people and they, aren't, they weren't all you know, accredited to, to George by any stretch of the imagination, I want to give credit where credit is due. And there's some incredible writers that were in this. But George had the vision for it all and story is at the heart of it. So, of course, he's the maestro conducting everything. And when teachers who teach history struggle uh, to impart the, uh, you know, what, they're, what the lessons they're trying to teach, my experience has been it's because they're teaching history as one darn thing after another. It's just, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da, first this, then this, then this. And it's just like this monotonous timeline. Um, I had a few of those coming through uh, at various points in school. But for the most part, um, I was very blessed to have teachers who were passionate about history that taught that. Matter of fact, um, I think I, you know, can can easily credit my love of history developing, uh, not just from my father who who introduced me to these knights and castles and westerns and things like that, but to my second grade teacher, Miss Clausen, who um, who kept books in in the classroom that we could use we could you know we could read for what's called self-selected reading after we were finished with our other work um and i remember the first two books that she had in there that i um that i remember reading is um a story an autobiography for young kids of course uh, on abraham lincoln and one on frederick Douglass. and uh, then i remember checking out her, uh, so I could take it home, her uh, Bruce Catton's Illustrated History of the Civil War. And we just, I couldn't read all those words for sure, but just pouring over the images and the maps. And um, and she, would, of course, would was, um, I just remember her being very passionate about um, teaching the past. And so, you know, two things. I think one, um, when people struggle to teach history, and unfortunately students um, have to sit under that sometime, it's when someone's not passionate about their content. And that can be with any teacher, actually. I mean, if, you know, I would always tell my students um, the very first day of class that my class was more important than any other class that they took all year long, that my home, my homework was to be done first, my assignments were to be taken, uh, you know, top priority, um, that Everything that they learned in here was of importance, great importance, and uh, this was the most important class they were going to have all year. And I'd pause, and I'd say, and if every other teacher that you have the rest of the day doesn't tell you that same thing, then you need to be suspicious, because they don't believe fully in their content like I do. Wow. And... um and that would get the, you know, that's the expectation I, I set. And so one, I think you have to be passionate about what you're, what you're teaching, regardless of the subject. But two, I think you have to, um, you have to make it engaging in such a way that um, the past isn't some, something that happened a long, long time ago. And it's just a bunch of, of dead people um, that actually the past is prequel for the present. We are who we are today because of what they did or didn't do. 
and how, you know, my goal was to always make connections between what went before and what we're doing now so that we could learn to benefit or prevent things from happening like that, um, you know, either good or bad into the future. And so I think that these stories really did a good job and uh, with the young indie stories did a good job of making those connections. There are, there are many, many of them that are cautionary tales um, and ones that also uh, inspire and motivate having to do with the importance of values and, and friendship and family. Um, so, you know, I think that um, they really, you know, George and, and Rick really um, over overshot the mark, if you will. They didn't just hit the mark. They overshot the mark when they created the series uh, for its educational value. Yeah, and that's a great point. And, and I agree about the idea that, you know, really, I mean, if you're teaching something of the past, it should also be seen as though, again, a prequel to the present. And I think George Lucas had said this himself, that, you know, history is really about people more than it is about events. And so if you use that as a basis for the content that you're teaching, that's going to be, be much more effective, I think. Yes. And kind of going off of that, uh, you talked about sort of the way storytelling could be used um, in history. And why do you think students often consider history to be a boring subject? And in what ways do you think storytelling can make learning more fun? Well, I think it's going to be boring to anyone when it's just memorization of facts. History gets a bad rap when, when people think of it as, again, like just you know, one damn thing after another, that it's, it's um, just a series of, of, of dates and, uh, and people that you have to memorize with no, nothing to connect to them. Uh, I always looked at dates as kind of like clothes hangers on which we hung a story. Oh, wow. That the dates were just to give us a point of reference in time so we could see what was happening at the time to, to, get, a, to get a better understanding of what people were going through, what they were experiencing. And it absolutely kills me when we sit... Uh, you know, smugly in the present and look with great disdain upon those in the past when the same thing will be done to us in a 50, 100 years, <laughs> you know, when, if we're not careful. My goal as a his historian, as a history teacher, was to prevent a future in which people did that, that you understood the context of the times. And I think that's what George really was after. He really believed that the, the early 20th century, and I, and I agree with him in, in this, that the early 20th century was pivotal um, to like the first two decades, pivotal in setting up what would happen the, the, for the rest of the century. Um, and in terms of, of um, culture, in terms of um, political events, um, in terms of war, in terms of uh, oh, you, you just about name it. I mean, look at the, 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 the situation we've had, we've lived, we've lived with um, in, the, in the Middle East goes back to um, Winds of Change, um, which does this terrific job of showing how, um, how the map is just arbitrarily divided among the powers yeah. uh, without respect to uh, culture or faith or, or local politics. And so we still are living with those repercussions today. And so I, th I think George was really wanting students to develop this long lens of history, 
um, this long lens of thought, if you will, uh, to be able to um, look at the big picture of things. And that's that's one thing I think, uh, again, going back to, to the question is when people think or, or see it as boring and I can, I can, you know, here, I've been to plenty of lectures that have, have bored me to tears and I've been to plenty that have just enraptured me because of the, the stories and the connections that were made. But if you, um, if you're having to sit in a history class in which no connections are made to the present in which you can't see yourself, how you would respond at the time, um, which may be differently than you would respond now, if you can't find yourself um, considering those things, then I don't think um, that class is being taught very well. I think Young Indy uh, set us or gave us a tool that allowed us to contemplate these things um, and to really contemplate the domino effect that decisions, individual decisions can make. That's a great point. And I think one of the things that people often say is that, you know, they'll learn more in Young Indy than they have in some of their history classes. And I think it goes back to what you were saying about that big picture or that long lens, which is just a great way of putting it because you have this young, youthful, you know, young adult character in Sean Patrick Flannery and also Corey Carrier, of course. And they are sort of the constant figure in all of these episodes, right? Remy's not in every episode. You always have a different rotating cast. But one of the things that always appealed to me about Young Indy is that each episode stands on its own, but in the DVD format, it works as this cohesive timeline. And so you see these connections being made because one person is always there in all of the historical events. So I think that's a really, really great point about the idea that sort of history repeats itself and teaching in this particular way and the way that Young Indy is sort of taught and the way the show unfolds is, is very, very true. Now, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about how you incorporate Young Indy into your teaching style. Uh, can you give our listeners maybe an example of a type of lesson plan or assignment that you've created for teaching Young Indy? Oh, yeah. Um, my uh, my partner in crime with all of this, Wes Dodgins, who's co-founder co with me with um, Adventures in Learning with Indiana Jones or Indy in the Classroom. Uh, Wes was in the classroom more years than I was teaching with this and did an incredible job of incorporating it. Um, I, I ended up going into the administrative track earlier than Wes did, so became a principal um, and uh, was unfortunately... Um, I say, unfortunately, I love my time in administration, but I missed the classroom. <laughs> I, yeah. missed, I missed teaching you those things I was passionate about. But um, but Wes and I had very similar styles of of incorporating the the um, the content into the classes. And I'll just give you an example. So um, these these films were designed. When I say films, I'm, I'm thinking DVD, you know, the, the DVD release. But let me go back to the television series as they were originally, the Chronicles, as they originally developed. You know, since they since they were designed to let you be in an hour, you know, tell a, tell a complete story for the most part within an hour, except for, you know, Mystery of the Blues and some of those others, Attack of the Hawkman and stuff that were made as feature-length films. But the, many of these, most of these segments were made to be shown uh, or seen within an hour, um, I could uh, select some of those uh, those episodes, some of those shows, and show the entire episode in class. Get some initial closure before the before class ended. So for the next day, um, we would uh, pick up a discussion that was related to either um, 
what we're about to learn. So this is, you know, this episode is kind of a preamble to, to, to learning uh, the, the content that we're going into, or um, how does it um, actually historically reflect what we had, we had already learned? So, you know, how, how close do you think it is to being historically accurate? I would always, though, whenever I showed these, and if anyone's out there listening and they're, and they're educators or teachers that are considering showing these in class, um, this was not just a plug and play and, and go sit down at the desk. Um, I would always have viewing guides I made. So I oh, great. Uh, created questions that the kids had to answer, my students had to answer as they as they watched. So this wasn't just let's sit back and watch. Um I would put the questions in, in viewing order, if you will. Um, and so there were things that they had to, uh, to answer as they watched. And oftentimes I would, um, I call it active viewing because I'd stop at any point in time and make a point on something they just saw. Or I'd ask questions. Do you have any questions about what you just saw? So this isn't just like, hey, roll the, roll the VCR in and uh, teachers teaching, not teaching for the day. This is me watching with them, being engaged with them. That's modeling. That's the best thing you can do anyway, uh, which had to make them think, um, such as, you know, uh, just off the top of my head in the Verdun episode where Andy makes a decision to um, not deliver the message to attack at, you know, uh, at Fort Dumont. Uh, you know, it's, it's a great uh, a great question to ask kids. I said, what, how would you have responded in this situation? Yeah. Would you have followed those rules? Would you have followed the orders? Would you have done something that would, would you have followed an order that you knew was unethical? And if not, would you be willing to accept the consequences of whatever that was if you were found out, you know? And so things that have to make you stop and think that there's not a, a white or black answer for. So um, the other way that you know, Wes and I have often used it besides showing a whole episode. And Wes was really good about doing this and um, taught um, a, um, a class on the World Wars, on World War One, and World War Two, And so got to show several of those. I also taught a military history class, which is a little different. It was um, history of American warfare. That's what it was, history of American wars. And so you're talking about from uh, the the revolution to the, to the present. So I had a chance to show some of those as well, but Wes really got to drill down with, with those world war one episodes. And so he would often um, show just clips. And when uh, we were working with Lucasfilm on the DVD release, uh, I'd ask David Schneider, who was the producer of um, the documentary series, which is fantastic. I uh, know we'll, we'll get to that, but um, I'd ask David to, create some or, or to, to uh, pull some clips together for us uh, of certain episodes, certain scenes. Matter of fact, the, the Benares episode where when Krishnamurti is walking through uh, the, through the city and, and showing um, Indy all the different fates that are right there in Benares, um, that was one of the clips that we we pulled out. Um, oh, that's great. The um and and mystery of the blues the the Sunday afternoon lunch. Yes, uh, that is one of the best. It's best, so good. Best um descriptions of seeing the oh difference between yes. Booker T. Washington and W. B. Du Bois, uh, and then the parallel to Malcolm and Mark Martin. You know, in the sixties. Um, so the other way is to pull these clips. Just show the clip. Um, you know, at, at the time, the, 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 the episodes weren't as readily available. Um, 
And so I, you know, if I, if, if me or Wes didn't show the, the students the entire episode, they may not see the entire thing. Of course, we have other things we have to teach and there's your, you know, time is always your enemy when you're a classroom teacher, but using just clips was a powerful way, um, to uh, get the kids interested, even if they didn't see anything else of the film. Uh, some of those clips were so incredibly well done, um, like explaining the the tenets of the five major world religions uh, child to child was incredible um, so that that anybody can understand. So um, so those are the two main ways that we've had most success. Um, we always, oh, we would also have uh, often assign research projects. Like if, for, for instance, if we showed an entire episode, uh, that might be followed up with uh, a for further study um, okay. assignment where you had to go, you had to go research some more on, um, on T.E. Lawrence or on De Gaulle or uh, whoever it might be, Richthofen, okay, or uh, Albert Schweitzer. You know, uh, so we would we would often um, also assign some uh, further research for the kids. Nothing, no long papers or anything, but just some short uh, research assignments to get them going a little bit deeper. Again, always trying to tie it back into our um, to our state standards, and so that you know we're we're right on target. Right. There's so many other scenes like that too, like uh, the one in Verdun, uh, the causes of World War One with the food. I mean, that <laughs> yeah. is just so sausages clever. and salt, right. exactly. And speaking of which, you know, are there other scenes like that or specific young indie episodes that you thought were the best for teaching in the classroom? Oh wow, so so many. Um, Oganga, giver and taker of life, is is incredible. The the reverence for life conversation that that Schweitzer has with with indy um i love attack of the hawkman just because it's the the first the first hour of particularly just because it's pure fun uh it also shows the rapid advancement of technology and how war, warfare often advances technology um in both positive and negative ways and so that that's a good one um and charles de gaulle even says that in trenches of hell if you remember he he has that reference about technology and warfare absolutely which is is a great um and Trenches of Hell, that's at my top. You know, if I ever were to list, um, that one is the, the, for me and Wes both, that's our go-to. Okay. Um, that one is so well done. If somebody, you know, people have often asked me, hey, where do I start? Because there's so many people who have never seen the series. And so where do I start? And I, you know, the way the DVDs are laid out, um, I loved, honestly, my um, Spring Break Adventure, you know, um, when it was actually The Curse of the Jackal. And and my first adventure, you know, again, we're getting into all the, the different terminology, but I hope people who are listening to this are young indie fans and know what oh, we're yeah. talking about. But for sure, the uh, the curse of the jackal was phenomenal. I loved how they introduced both characters, both you know Corey Car- Carrier and Sean Patrick within that story, and that to me is a great intro for anyone. But after that, I always recommend um, Trenches of Hell. That's um, I, there's so many lessons to be learned in that one, um, and mystery of the blues is probably number number two for me. So okay, number one is trenches of hell. Number two, mystery of the blues, um, does so much on race, on culture, on jazz, um, as a as a unique modern, uh, obviously American art form. Um, yeah, then I think you get into like Oganga, giver and ticker of life. 
um, and, and some of those. But there's just, there's so many. There are, and, and it's really actually kind of fascinating just how many subjects are covered throughout the entire series, and I think the best episodes are the ones that still incorporate some of those Indiana Jones characteristics, what we recognize from the film, you know, such as sort of the action and espionage and Attack of the Hawkman, or um, Phantom Train of Doom is another great one that's really interesting, of course, and, and Trenches especially as well. But um, Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot. How could I forget? Um the uh, when when Indy goes on safari with Teddy Roosevelt, yes, that you know, is passion a for one. passion for life. Um, that whole conversation about conservationism between Indy and Tr and and Roosevelt is a fascinating character in general. And and to hear hear him talk about the importance of conservation while also being a hunter, um, I mean it's it's fascinating stuff. But yeah, I, I love that one too. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Oh no, not at all. And and one thing I was going to mention too is. What episodes do you find that students like the most? Are there any that kind of stand out to them? I mean, one that kind of I was thinking about that probably would be great for teachers is Paris 1919, which is just phenomenal. But maybe that one's a little bit too much information for students. I don't know. What do you find that they are sort of drawn to? Yeah, that's a great one. It's very esoteric. Um, it's uh, and I love the fact that you would have Ho Chi Minh um, there. Uh, I mean, that's that one's so well done. I would use that one with my AP courses. I don't know that I used it with my regular U.S. history classes. Uh, I think I used it in AP U.S. and AP Euro. Um, but the ones that I remember the kids liking the most were um, Trenches of Hell, simply because they, they really haven't seen trench warfare. I mean, Americans know so little of, of the Great War, uh, honestly. That's so true, yeah. And so um, that, that was fascinating to them to, to see that. And then uh, Mystery of the Blues. Uh, they, they liked the, the music, um, you know, Big Jim Colosimo's murder and, and um, O'Banion and, and, all, and all of that. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, you've got Elliot Ness and Al Capone. And so there's a lot in that episode as well. One other one that, that really resonated with them was the, um, was the first half of um, Oganga. Yeah, when, um, with Bartleme. Bartleme, absolutely. And, you know, the uh, the kids were instantly taken with this story of a little boy who was, you know, Indy rescuing this little boy and, and, and being adamant. And, you know, I have to say that bookend with George Hall is one of my favorites when he when he says, and that little boy grew up to be the father of his country. You know, I mean, it's just it's so good. Uh, and I do you know, I have to give credit to George Hall. I love the old. I love the old indie um, bookends. I thought he did a fantastic job. He was really cantankerous indie. Yeah, <laughs> People talk right. about you know grumpy Harrison yeah. or whatever. Right. Which, um, yeah, that that he he played um, that that um, softy with the gruff exterior. Yeah. So well. Uh, the other ending I loved. Probably the most, probably my favorite George Hall ending was Vicky. Yes, of course. When, you know, deeds come girls, deeds, not words. And he goes up to her and says, Vicky. And she looks at him and says, Indy. Oh, and I, oh gosh. Oh, yeah. You, you just you, tugs at the heart. melt, right? Exactly. So, um, yeah, that was that was a really, really good one, too. But I think, you know, the ones that um, were adventurous and the ones that also tugged at, tugged at the heart were the ones that the kids liked the most. 
Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up the bookends, because ironically, that opening bookend of Curse of the Jackal is sort of what you were doing with young Indiana Jones in the classroom. Of course, George Hall, you know, pulls the kids aside, they're so bored, and he gives his story, and then, of course, they're, you know, really fascinated by a story. So kind of an interesting parallel there. Um, but one of the things I've been thinking about as we've been uh, talking about, you know, just the way young Indiana Jones can be such a great tool for students is that I think one of the things that works well is that in some instances, Indy is often the same age as a lot of these historical figures. And I think it's very relatable for audience members to connect with him in that way. And so I'm curious, you know, kind of building off of what we've been discussing, which historical characters or events do you think are the most accurately represented in Young Indy and really kind of stand out to you as being kind of um, some, some really iconic moments? That's a great question. There's, there's bits and pieces of all the historical figures that are absolutely nailed. Um, the writers did an incredible amount of research in, um, in creating these scripts they were as accurate as, as possible as they could to still tell a story. So as far as um, historical accuracy, I think I'd be more inclined to, to give a few that I think that, um, that they captured the spirit, historical spirit of. It's like Sassoon, although it's very, although, although it's very, very brief. And even with Robert, yeah, that, that, that that one such a great scene brief line exactly when you know robert leaves and and he says oh robert had a nervous breakdown you know that, though that happened it did you know um and then sassoon going on about the industrialists um you know it's it's a little bit early for him to formulate that at that moment but it was already there he hadn't vocalized that yet but it was coming um and so um you know, I think that the um, there are many characters like that. Sydney Bechet, um, again, um, I'm not a, a an authority on his life, but knowing what he did for uh, for jazz, and also going to um, going to France, where he was going to face or, or going to be more accepted. You know, as many African American performers were. Um, and, and intelligentsia, members of the intelligentsia. They were more accepted in Europe than they were here at the time. Um, and so uh, I think there's so many, you know, even even in um, with Jaffra and Patan. Oh, my gosh. While yes. those conversations may not be historically accurate about that particular moment in, at Fort Dumont, it captures the absolute spirit of, the, of both men. And the viewpoints of both men, uh, Patan was so much um, s such a supporter of of his men that it actually was to a fault in the next world war <laughs> when the, when the Nazis invade. You know, he's like, okay, we'll capitulate. Um, so you you get some um, some fascinating figures. Uh, I mean, you see, goodness, people forget or maybe not even know if they haven't seen the episode, you see Lennon yeah. <laughs> deliver a speech, you know, but I think they do a good job for all of them. I'm trying to think of maybe the conversely, somebody they don't really capture very well. And I can't think of a one. I think in spirit, they capture them very well. Schweitzer, especially oh my gosh, is another yeah. one with, with uh, his mission there, um, his beliefs, his faith, his philosophy. 
Um, so so good. We're not gonna we're not gonna touch Matahari. <laughs> right, <laughs> that one we'll leave alone. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that one's left out of the never, classroom. Never, never yeah. aired that one in the classroom. That's right. Yeah. Uh, directed yeah. by the great Nick Rogue. Yeah. Well, I'll say this too. Now, Norman Rockwell, that one was kind of an anachronism. So Rockwell wasn't there again. It was just something for. Yeah. That was a conceit. Um, yeah, that was probably the most um, anachronistic, I guess, um, of of all of them. Um, and and maybe again Puccini with Anna, but again I think I think what they're trying to do is capture the spirit of those people. And you know George even said the idea was to tease, uh, to hook people in, to get interested, and then go do the research yourself, go study some more. Exactly, and that's sort of what the documentaries are for is is to kind of draw people in, and then then you can go on and learn about all these things. Um, now, of course, young Indy travels all around the world. He learns many different languages. He experiences many different cultures, meets numerous historical figures, etc., etc. Uh, but I've often felt that it was a phenomenal choice to have T.E. Lawrence appear in multiple episodes because you see that progression of him becoming Lawrence of Arabia, of course, in Paris 1919, right? He's sort of a little bit uh, sort of nervous when he has to, you know, uh, sign the signature. He's becoming a little bit more famous, and that's, of course, you know, foreshadowed with Lowell Thomas in Tales of Innocence a little bit. So uh, did you ever sort of explore uh, T.E. Lawrence in your classroom and that progression in those three episodes he was in with uh, Curse of the Jackal, Daredevils, and then Paris 1919? You know, um, I, I really didn't um, because I, I didn't show in succession those three films in any one class. So, for instance, um, so, you know, when I showed um, my first adventure, it was in my ninth grade ancient history class. And we were we were looking at that as kind of an introduction to uh, the adventure of of archaeology, an overview of Egyptian uh, culture, just a tease of what was we were going to be studying in, in, in Egypt. Um, to actually, I would have my kids, um, and I always called my students my kids because I always called them my kids. Um, <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, you're stuck with me now. I'm, right, I'm right. Your, I'm your step parent. But uh, when they go into the tomb, for instance, in, in uh, my first adventure, uh, I, I would teach in that ancient history class. Uh, the basics of hieroglyphics oh, and, wow. yeah. and what cost statues statu were and things like that. And so I would have the kids look for different things. Um, you know, there is actually a cost statue there and they actually call the, the man Ka, you know, the, the, the dignitary Ka, but um, which is different than a cost statue. And so, so I've, I would show that, but I wouldn't show like in that same class where we are introduced to Lawrence, I never showed that episode like in, uh, a U.S. history class where I might show a clip of Paris 1919. I usually showed the map scene in Paris 1919. Oh, yeah, that's a great scene. Yep, not so much the entire thing. And then uh, Daredevils, I think I only showed once in my military history class when we were um, studying World War One, And it was the Battle of Beersheba. Yeah, that's a really great point. To kind of actually bring in those clips is a smart idea, too, because you give little glimpses into the episodes, and who knows, maybe the uh, the, the students go home and, and actually watch the episodes themselves and get interested. And speaking of which, you know, um, the DVD release of Young Indy in 2007 was, was monumental in numerous ways, and I believe, if, if I'm correct, this is when you and Wes actually established the website Indy in the Classroom. 
And uh, how did your teaching style change after the documentaries, the lectures, the video games, and the interactive timeline were created? How did that sort of change your framework? That actually, as a matter of fact, the fact that I was out of the classroom is one of the reasons that we did get involved with. Um, that's the time we became involved with Lucasfilm as well. Because when, uh, right before that came out, uh, that was the summer of 2007, I believe, um, I had taken a position as the head of the social studies um, program for our school district. So that's a school district of 70,000 students. So it's a very large school district. And I'd heard about the documentaries. Actually, I saw a press release on the documentaries that were being created Oh wow! Um, for the Young Indy DVD series and the DVD release. Over the years, um, I knew that when I was, you know, videotaping the the episodes and showing them in class, there there was all kinds of gray area with um, fair use and, and such. Right. <laughs> um, so I was uh, I actually began writing to Lucasfilm. I actually wrote to George and said, "Hey, I, this is who I am. Uh, this is what I'm doing. I absolutely am passionate about this. I see the results of my students. Um, have to you know, mea culpa. I'm I'm." I'm wearing out the videotapes that I use off of TV, you know, and so are, is there going to be a VHS release? And on a couple of different occasions, um, every time I wrote, I always got a response. Oh, wow. Th that to me is, I mean, the folks at Lucasfilm are incredible to work with. Um, they've just been fantastic. It really is, um, very much. Our experience has been very much like a family. We've become friends. Wow. And, um, they were just so, uh, especially, you know, as as educators, so receptive, so kind. Um, the first time I wrote and asked about the uh, VHS release, Ann Merrifield, who was Georgia's secretary, said, hey, you know, um, Mr. Lucas didn't have time to respond, but he saw your letter. We're getting other letters like this, and we'll let you know when, you know, when we know something more. In the meantime, finding closed this um, study guide that was created for ABC when they first released. And I'd never seen that anywhere. And so I was blown away. It was awesome. So That's so cool. Yep. So they sent that to me and sent that to me. It was fantastic. Uh, a few years later, I wrote another letter and said, hey, um, has it come with these VHS? <laughs> you know. <laughs> right, yeah. And then uh, the response that time was, hey, George is busy working on uh, episode one. Um, but he did read your letter and is excited that you're still um, using this series. So when I heard that the Young Indie series was coming on DVD, not only was I ecstatic, I was really intrigued by the documentaries. And so, you know, hey, I'd had, you know, great success in, res in response before, felt very comfortable in, in writing, uh, writing them. And this time I wrote to Howard Rothman, uh, and he was the head of licensing at the time uh, for, for Lucasfilm. And I, I let him know that, you know, hey, I've been teaching with Young Indy since it first came out. Um, I've had some contact with Ann Merrifield uh, in the past. And, you know, I'm just taking over this uh, position as the head of social studies for a school district of 70,000 students. And, you know, I put that in as like, read in parentheses, a lot of potential customers, right? I didn't say that, but that's why, yeah. you know, that's why I threw that in there. Um, and so um, I, I, I included a couple of sample lesson plans, which very well could have been sent right back, you know, for, you know, it's unsolicited material or whatever. Um, and 
then said that, you know, I'd, I'd planned on teaching as soon as the DVDs came out, I planned on teaching my teachers in the school district, how to teach with this series. Um, and if, you know, I would love to, um, get a look at those, D, uh, those documentaries, if I could, if there's any information, uh, and I'd be glad to help any way I could with anything. And, um, I, then I also told them, I said, I'm, and I'm planning on, uh, having our students in the school district and teachers create this uh, immersive student created museum style exhibition called walking through time with Indiana Jones. That's going to come out two weeks before the, um, the launch of crystal skull. And I, so I put all this stuff into this letter and then waited to get a cease and desist, you know? Um, and, and I remember the last line to, to Howard, I said, I'll keep you informed of our success. Um, <laughs> right. And then didn't hear anything. And a few weeks later, I got a phone call from Tom Warner, who at that time was head of marketing um, for Lucasfilm. And he said, hey, um, Tom, I mean, uh, Howard sent your letter over and we'd like to talk to you about this. And so that's that's how um, we began to um, collaborate with them on the DVD release. They were just so, so generous, so gracious. Um, I was told that um, George had seen the lesson plans that I sent had heard what we were doing. It was very supportive to, to know that we would have been on the right track all those, all those years. And so that's how Andy in the classroom came to be. We knew that Wes and I, regardless of what, you know, Lucasfilm was going to do, we wanted to have a website that we could put all these episodes on with historical resources, research prompts, questions, things like that, that would be free available to teachers anywhere. Um, and so we created that just ahead of the DVD release. Um, and so the, the documentaries, though, really uh, had an impact on Wes's teaching because uh, I was teaching teachers on how to use those. And Wes, were actually, Wes was using them in his classroom. Um, so that was uh, terrific. They actually sent us some cut discs of the documentaries before the DVDs were released. And we got to review those and show them, with one of, show them to one of Wes's classes. That's unbelievable. So we told the kids, hey, you're the first people anywhere in the world to see these outside the team that put them together. And we showed them the one on um, the Harlem Hellfighters, which is a fantastic one. And at the end of it, I was there when, when we showed, we screened with Wes's kids. And this young African-American girl, these were sophomores, she raised her hand and she said, why have I never heard of these men? She said, I want to know more. And that right there was what it was all about. Wow. So I wrote a letter back to them and said, hey, we screened this with some kids. They absolutely loved it. And this was a comment. And um, yeah, they ended up reading that letter to the to the um, Jack Films team and said they were all very excited to hear the response from the students. So they knew they were on the right track. We knew we were on the right track. And that's how we ended up going to the um, WNET conference in New York the next March in 2008 to, to present the benefits of teaching with that young indie series. It, it, it made it easier for me to promote what I had seen success with in my own classroom with teachers in our school district across, across the state, um, spoke at several state conferences on how to teach with Indy. And then this was a national conference in New York that uh, David Schneider and I both presented at on the uh, educational benefits of teaching with young Indy. I, I extolled the virtues of doing that as a, as a veteran classroom teacher who had, who had done it. And then David talked a little bit about the process of making those, uh, those, all those documentaries. 
That's terrific. And those documentaries are phenomenal. I've looked into those after, you know, learning uh, so much from young Indiana Jones. And there's even a great documentary that David Schneider made with Lucasfilm called Manifest Destiny as well. That's really terrific. Yes. uh, Which is phenomenal. But I'd like to learn a little bit more about this this extraordinary event uh, in 2008, Walking Through Time with Indiana Jones. You said it was sort of this interactive museum and exhibit that allowed, you know, students to kind of connect many of those major events from 20th century to Indiana Jones. Um, What was it like kind of planning and executing this entire thing? And how did students, parents, and teachers respond to this type of interactive project-based learning? That was a lot of fun. We created an informational flyer and and sent it out to all the department heads and said, hey, we're going to do this thing at Roper Mountain Science Center, which is our, our school district owns a science center, which is incredibly unique. And I said, we're going to host this event in May um, there, and we want the kids to create it. And I'm going to teach them... Um, how they can kind of connect the dots, if you will, as using Indy as uh, as a driver of the story through the 20th century. And then they're going to do research based on Indy's adventures from the Young Indy series. So the, the qualifier was that it had to have something related to, um, to the series in some way. Um, uh, so we had we had everything from sixth graders to twelfth graders creating um, creating projects that were then displayed at our at our local science center. We uh, we brought in uh, a museum curator who uh, had who was an exhibit creator at one of our local museums, and she did some workshops with teachers on how to crash course and the, the basics of communicating information uh, through an exhibit. So, yeah, it was, and then we just kind of let the kids, we gave them a, a blank check and, or, or a, a blank slate and said, create the style exhibit you, that you'd like. Um, topics dealing with the ancient Norse in, in China to, uh, to paratroopers in World War II. Um, because, be, yeah, because at that time, uh, we, you know, it had, it had gotten out that now this was, uh, Crystal Skull was in the 50s, and it was after World War II. Indy had been part of the OSS. So we had some kids that found out, um, even before the movie came out, that Indy had been involved with World War II in some way. We didn't know exactly how much. And so they went with the World War II uh, exhibit. Um, and so, yeah, it was um, it was fantastic. And so we, we put these, uh, these student-created exhibits all over the the mountain um and then we created kind of a scavenger hunt called passport to adventure where we created something along the lines of a passport that uh you could get your passport stamped uh with a with a rubber stamp from a different country at, at each one of those exhibits um and then there were like oh gosh maybe 20 different stops that kids uh that guests could could stop at and then when they got their stamp from that exhibit, at the end of the day, after they filled it, they could take it uh, to redeem a prize. And Lucasfilm had sent us a, a bunch of mini posters of the, the movie poster, The Crystal Skull. And so that was uh, the prize that kids, they got to keep the passport if they wanted it. Um, and then we gave them, we gave them one of those uh, mini posters. Um, so yeah, so that was a lot of fun. We, I was inspired with that idea when I read an, uh, an article years before where 
George had once considered the title of uh, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles to be uh, a walk through the 20th century with Indiana Jones. Wow, I didn't know that. And of course, that was kind of a <laughs> a work in progress. But um, I thought, okay, well, that's a great concept to think about that. And now if you think about it, Will, with Dial of Destiny, we have seen a walk through the 20th century with this character. Absolutely. Um, which I, I absolutely love. And and actually, by the time, you know, if if you fast forward and you include the George Hall episodes, those took place in the in the early 90s, like in 92, in present day. Those bookends were present day. And so you had seen a walk through the entire 20th century with him. But yeah, now that now that we have this you know, Dial of Destiny, we've seen a lot more. So, so that's where Walking Through Time with Indiana Jones came from, and found a, a, a wonderful piece of art that was created by Trevor Grove, who, if you guys don't know Trevor, you should look up his work. He's an amazing sculptor, um, and found this this terrific image of Indy, Sean Patrick Flannery riding a horse, Corey Carrier, um, and in the foreground, kind of Sean on the you know that. Pancho Villa episode where he's riding the horse, then Harrison at the top, a Mayan temple in the background with a clock behind the Mayan temple, which was kind of uh, interesting considering we had this whole Dial of Destiny thing, you know, with passage of time, right? And so if you look at that at that key art we ended up using, it fit, it, it fit everything we were doing so well. So I reached out to Trevor and uh, said, hey, Trevor, can we use this for our posters and our T-shirts that we're going to make? Not making any money off of it. We're just doing the posters promotional around town and the T-shirts we're going to give our kids that uh, participate. And he said, absolutely. Well, I'm curious to know a little bit more about also how maybe you have uh, sort of told other teachers and administrators about teaching with young Indiana Jones. I know you've done a lot in South Carolina, but uh, you mentioned this um, WNET conference, Celebration of Teaching and Learning in New York, that you attended to and you talked about the adventures and learning with Indiana Jones. Um, What was that experience like? And have you done any other things to sort of uh, talk about young Indy and teaching it in the classroom on a much larger scale? Yes, yeah, so that was the largest conference um, that I presented Young Indy at, um, was the one in New York. Um, again, like I said, it's a, it's a national conference, but you know it's pretty cool when you're in the same program with Jane Goodall and stuff. Right. <laughs> like I'm not even close to that. That's the size of conference that it was that we had teachers in. So I wasn't doing like a big keynote or anything. I, I would have loved to have done that, but we we did two sessions. We were we were just you know David and I were kind of a last minute ad. The uh, president of the conference and of the WNET at the time um, was a big indie fan, and uh, especially young indie and new David, and so he was able to get us in kind of the last minute ad, like I said, and so we we just wanted to get him get the series in front of as many teachers as possible, and so um, so I did that uh, multiple uh, state conferences and uh, for our uh, our. Um, South Carolina Council for Social Studies with um, superintendents and curriculum leaders did a conference uh, for that when I say upstate, upstate South Carolina. Um, but then when we through, honestly, just through social media, my goodness, we've been able to support teachers worldwide and on Facebook, uh, connecting with our global network of educators um, and, and share ideas on how to teach with Young Indy. So social media platform has really given us the biggest reach uh, to promote that website uh, and and also to promote what you know just the the benefits of teaching with this uh, with the series. 
Yeah, and it's a terrific website, super informative and educational, and even for somebody like me who's just a fan, really, really fascinating to see all the work you've done being documented in that way. And I'm curious to uh, hear a little bit more about um, maybe the feedback that you've received from uh, teachers. Is it met with intrigue or skepticism? And, and what have you also heard from students and parents about how effective this curriculum might be with teaching with Young Indy? Well, for the most part, I'm trying to think, I can't think of anyone that was skeptical to the point of like, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't teach with this. That's great. Yeah. I mean, honestly, when you say it's like, you know, for instance, I, I taught Star Wars also uh, in my ancient history class. We watched the original trilogy and I and I taught them um, Joseph Campbell's uh, Hero's Journey, all the steps of the Hero's Journey through the original trilogy. That's and so we smart. would use that. Yeah, so we used it as an introduction to comparative mythology because, you know, I would I would tell you gotta do something, brother, to spice up, you know, yeah. ancient history to, to ninth graders at eight thirty in the morning. I mean, come on. You know? And so and I just it's all about stories. So I, you know, I would tell kids and this is where Indy comes in as well, but I would say, you know, we learn about each other through stories. Um, and we all love stories. We're wired for stories. That's how we're just, it's more storytelling and receiving of stories is in our DNA. And um, that's how we, that's how we learn best. And so, you know, I would, I would tell this, our students that we're going to learn about these people uh, that lived thousands of years ago through their stories. And through their stories, we're going to learn that they're really not any different than we are today. Um, and so to be able to do that, so that's when I, you know, I introduced them to the concept of the hero's journey, you know, the three major stages, things like that. Um, and so with, when I would tell parents that came into parent teacher night, you know, first year, oh yeah, by the way, um, this is like the second week of school. Um, you're going to have a permission form come home to, uh, sign off on your kids watching the original trilogy for Star Wars. So please make sure that gets back in cause we're starting that like end of the week. And some parents would like raise their eyebrows, like, what is that for? You know, others were like, man, can I come with my kid that day? Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. But, you know, once people see the value, see, see the engagement, and for the most part, both, both of those IPs have been around so long, both of those um, stories, if you will, body of stories have been around so long that people get the, the value uh, of the storytelling. And so all you need, really need to do then is to connect the dots with what is the educational components. And then they'll go, aha, now I can see. Now they might say, Hey, that's really cool that you're doing that. It's a little bit different to get them to take the jump because that can be a scary thing when you've not, uh, been used to teaching kind of, you know, outside of the ordinary. So my job has been, uh, to kind of, um, just show them the way as much as best I can on, Hey, these are some great ways that you can do this. Take, take the leap. The benefits are going to, going to be fantastic. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. And it's really interesting too, that, uh, you know, I think that parents and, and teachers have reacted so well to this too, because I know it might be appealing to students, but it's always important to think about how others might be, uh, sort of interested in, in learning about the way their own kids are learning. And on that topic, what skills do you think are essential for the next generation of teachers to be successful at creating impactful educational experiences for their students? Mm, I love that one. That needs to be another episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, but no, seriously, in, in a nutshell, one is that you have to understand you're there for the kids. You're not there for yourself. Two, 
you need to do uh, you need to be willing to meet all all learners where they are and engage them in a ways that's best for them to understand. Um, I just happen to be someone who loves storytelling and and loves telling stories uh, and loves good stories. So there was it was natural for me to use stories like that in, in class. Um, but no matter what your what subject you're teaching, stories lend themselves well to any class. You know, I would tell teachers that word problems are nothing more than stories. If you want, if you want to, if you're a math teacher, and I'm married to an incredible one, that if if you're a math teacher that uh, wants to get kids to think higher, tell them stories and approach your 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 word problems or whatever you know uh, as as many stories challenges to solve. So I think it's, um, you know, that's, that's engaging kids where they are and be willing to, um, be willing to fail, but fail forward, be willing to take risks, um, for the benefit of your kids. You know, you know that they're going to, um, learn this in, in this novel way, but it may not go smoothly the first time. Don't give up, learn from whatever didn't go well and then fail forward with it. Okay, it's not failure unless you quit. And and so, you know, I think that uh, it's essential that you know you know you know your audience. You're there for the kids. You're passionate about what you're doing, and that um, that you use all the tools at your disposal to engage them in ways that they want to be engaged. Yeah, that's a really really great answer. And. Uh... George Lucas and Rick McCallum's primary intent for this series was, of course, to teach high school students about 20th century history. You're one of the few people who have actually turned that vision into a reality. How does it feel to achieve George Lucas's original intent for this series? To know that we are helping fulfill that vision, I haven't really thought of that before. That's a good question. Um, to, to know that we're helping to fulfill that vision, not because it's it's you know George Lucas, but because you have someone who is passionate about helping people learn. Um, and if I can be part of that, then I'm all, I'm there for it. Um, so I look at it that way. If we were able to, to use the tools that he created to help people learn, man, that's, yeah, we'll, we'll keep doing that all day long. Good for you. Good for you. And and I think that's another interesting you know part of it, too, is that Young Indy, I think, especially with the DVD release, kind of got a whole new sort of uh, fan base and reached a whole new audience because, of course, it was just so hard to find for so long. So uh, it's still, of course, working in that way. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit uh, as we sort of uh, get to the end of the episode here, talking a little bit about the Indiana Jones films. Um, and of course, Indiana Jones has always created such a strong interest in history and archaeology for many audiences. And uh, have you ever used uh, the Indiana Jones films uh, in your classroom? And uh, do you think that uh, there are specific scenes or events that are important to show because they are actually historically accurate? You know, that's a um, another great question. I with with those three feature length films, because I say three because those were the ones, the, the first three were the ones that were out when I was teaching. Um, I never showed those films in their entirety, but I would show clips. The The clip I would often use was uh, the scene at, at, from Raiders was the Well of the Souls. And from the time that he and Sala, you know, or Sala lowers him down in there through the time that um, 
you know, he gets out. And that was to ask the kids, you know, the students, this was early in the year, right before we went into our, our unit on archaeology, because I would, I would teach a unit on archaeology. I would ask them, you know, what do you think, what of this scene do you think is archaeology? They would say things like, right, taking notes in a notebook or, or whatever, you know, or um, uh, taking measurements. Um, you know, I'd, I'd also ask them, what do you think is not archaeology? Well, you know, the, the magical ray of light through the, through the crystal in the Staff of Ra, the headpiece, you know, uh, or finding a tomb that intact, which I would have to say, well, you know, sometimes light can actually provide clues um, where um, archaeoastronomy um, and where where stars appeared at certain times. Um, you know, I'd say sometimes we do find tombs that, or, or, or um, not just tombs, but sometimes we do find structures that are somewhat intact like that and could walk into, not often at all. But um, so we would, anyway, it was just to stimulate conversation uh, about that. Um, when we talk about the, uh, you know, uh, the Nazis in World War II, one thing that kids would often talk about was like uh, experience of seeing uh, any uh, Nazi portrayed was on film was something through an Indiana Jones movie, you know, through Raiders or through Last Crusade. And so invariably sometimes that would come up in our, in our units on World War II. And I would, you know, we would talk about, yeah, the Anunnabi was actually a real thing. Hitler was obsessed with the occult. You know, there was this, uh, this dark side of um, archaeology, if you will. I mean, they were not say dark side of archaeology, but there were archaeologists that worked for um, the uh, Nazi party that were, the Nazi government that were um, going on these searches for relics and things like that. But then, you know, there's this time, there's this kind of, you balance that with almost this caricature of these Nazi villains, you know, like when Andy throws, I can't remember his name now, and uh, you know, no tickets. Yeah. <laughs> when he, when Vogel. He, when he, yeah. yeah, thank you, Vogel. When he throws Vogel out the window, you know, that's humorous, you know, and, and how Andy often, you know, there's a lot of jokes at their, uh, at their expense. But I think that's also a way that we... Um, Sometimes uh, when I, I would teach propaganda a lot during World War II. Oh yeah, that's a really interesting unit. Yeah. Yep. And so I always teach propaganda and how what do we how what do we do to our enemies through propaganda? You know, um, do you know how do you how do you villainize them? And sometimes it actually is through mocking humor and things such as that. So um, there were a lot of clips that we could discuss using those original films, but the the uh, the bulk of what my history teaching involved was was with young Indy, um, but God bless them, you know, I love those those original films, and we wouldn't have had a young Indy. The kids wouldn't have known who Indy was without those without those films. And I think even now, to start creating some new material related to Dial of Destiny, per- particularly not just for for that particular film but for related to the evolution of Andy as a person. So yeah, there's uh there's great content and all that, but I just, um, my, the bulk of my teaching with, with Andy was with the young Andy series. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's definitely understandable. And speaking of that, you know, David Schneider's uh, documentaries on archaeology and Howard Carter are just phenomenal. I mean, absolutely terrific. And and you mentioned that you had a little unit on archaeology. And, and how do you think the Indiana Jones films have changed the field of archaeology? Have you as a hist- historian and educator noticed a change in, in interest in that subject area? Well, I have some friends, uh, a few friends who are archaeologists, and um, one of them in particular will often roll her eyes uh, at Indy, and my, you know, my, my love of Indy, but at the same time, she'll acknowledge that that was one of the reasons that she got into archaeology, because of those films. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I'm not going to speak for any archaeologists who may be listening, but in the, I know a few of my, my friends who are, there's kind of this um, tongue-in-cheek love-hate, you know, um, that, uh, yeah, this isn't what archaeology is, but I became an, archaeology, an archaeologist because of Indiana Jones. And I follow the work of a lot of archaeologists, and many of them that I follow and it could just be because of the same fandom groups, you know, or whatever, but um, will recognize the role that Andy played in um, getting people interested in the subject and the study of archaeology. And and I think, too, as well, Dial of Destiny brings back a little bit of that elements that maybe was missing in, you know, some of the young Indiana Jones episodes. Not that, of course, that is a bad thing at all. But, um, you know, speaking of Dial of Destiny, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the film. And more specifically, I know you had the chance to actually attend the premiere of the film. What was that entire experience like? Wow. Yeah, it was it was terrific um, on both counts. So we'll start with with the with the film. Um I loved it. I thought it was a fitting ending to Indy's story. And one reason I say that is because in listening to, to Harrison do multiple interviews, he wanted to tell this particular story and what it would be like for him to experience, you know, twilight of his years, having lived such an extraordinary life at that moment in world history and U.S. history. You know, you have the the counterculture movement, you have the youth movement, um, you have the space race, you know, you have have all of these things. And he's, you know, I liken it to someone, this phase of Indy's life as being like Steve Rogers, is kind of a man out of time. Right. Um, He uh, has accomplished so much and has seen so many changes. Where do I fit into this modern world? And you kind of hear, you get a glimpse of that, a hint of that when he's at the bar, when Helena walks in and she's talking about man on the moon, you know, I can't remember his exact words, but it was, it was almost like, okay, well, whatever, you know, um, and the extraordinary things he'd seen throughout his life. Here he was just retired. And what is my value anymore? You know, there's these big questions. I love that that James Bangle tackled those questions and that Harrison Ford wanted to tackle those questions. You know, I think that so many people, we, we look at our, look at our heroes as um, the heroes of our youth and that they, that the eternal, they're eternally a certain age, but then they don't mature and they don't learn. They don't grow. And, you know, one of the things that I love about the, 
the hero's journey is that you see a hero evolve and that that hero does age, does have different experiences. You know, Andy can't be 70 years old and doing the same things he did when he was 37, when we first, you know, <laughs> or whatever, when we first met him. I wouldn't want him to. Uh, I want to see, I, I want to be inspired by someone who's who's traveled further down the road than I have, who's gathered more wisdom than I have, and who's faced more hardships than I have. I want to see a hero that's multidimensional, who actually has to to face grief and loss. Um, and one thing that I like, you know, is that each one of these indie stories are set squarely within the times in which they take place. And so how many Americans in 1969 were having their sons uh, killed in Vietnam? You know, how much loss was being suffered? That, that to me was a very real thing. Having him die in war just to piss his father off, not to die, but to go join to piss his father off, as he said. That to me brings in this whole level of the connection of Andy with his own dad. Absolutely. Yes. And so for people just to like crap on that or whatever, and just like, I'm like, no, 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 no. You're missing the whole story of this man because you're looking at a man who at some level has to have survivor's guilt because he survived World War I. He, he survived the trenches of hell. He survived World War II. Okay, we'll go there. He survived being nuked in a fridge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but all, all, all of these things, he lost his son. And it sounded like during an argument, I'm going to go join the war. And in this case, Mutt lost his life where Andy didn't. So there's, there's so much to this where, you know, I, I think you even see, and the young Andy episodes show this, he struggled with relationship his entire life going back with his father. I mean, even with women, you know, that's part of it. It's like from one woman to another, to another, to another. And yeah, okay, so marrying is his love of his life. That's great. But I can't think of anything more challenging than, than to lose a son, especially if it was in a situation when there had been tension before that. And, and to see them take on that, that idea yeah, he, he's still having to deal with things. You know, it, it occurred to me, and I could be completely wrong, Will, that his, you know, he's, he's telling Helena on the boat, you know, the, that whole story, and says that, you know, his mother was inconsolable, and he didn't know how to, how to handle it, how to, how to help her. I think that he really was deflecting. Yeah, Marion was, but it was him that's inconsolable. Because at the very end, I say that because of this, because when Marion looks at him and says, Indy, are you back? Are you back? It's Indy who had withdrawn. It was him that had gone into the shell. It was him that was struggling the most. And so when she looks at him, because she's come right back, and she says, hey, Indy, are you back? That, to me, was like one of the greatest lines in the entire saga. Because that's reality. That's that stuff. That that's that's to me. In the first part of that movie, I got my popcorn flick. You know, I got my popcorn summer flick. 
I got the Nazis kicked the crap out of. They won the day. You know, there was the fist, the, the, the fist punches. There was the, the big action. But then I got a richer, deeper story of a character that um, I can learn from myself. And so that's why I like the movie. Yeah, I mean, that is an excellent reading, excellent reading. And the parallels you were making between Mutt and Indy and then Indy and his father, I think I also noticed too. And anybody who watched Young Indy, I think, you know, I'm not sure if Mangold was was directly pulling from that, but clearly there's a, a connection to be made there. And then what you said about Marion is, is very, very true. I think there's an idea that Indy is sort of stuck in the past and hence why he wants to stay in the past uh, when he finally meets Archimedes. And it's Helena who has to, you know, the next generation has to bring him back, right? Bring him back into the saddle, so to speak. And so Marion's there finally at the end, uh, you know, are you back, Indy? That's, that's a really, really great point, Thomas. Um, now, speaking of which, what do you think the future of the Indiana Jones franchise will look like? What do you think's next, uh, just in terms of your own opinion? Goodness. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you two answers. One, I'm not sure uh, because I know that Harrison has said, hey, when I stop playing Indy, he's done. Um, and there's a part of me that's like, yeah, you know, I can see. I, I don't need another Back to the Future movie. That's a great trilogy. <laughs> My, yeah. You know, I mean, that... That that is Doc and Marty. That's great. I don't need to keep on going with it. Personally, I think there's a lot of great stories that can still be told with Indy. So my first answer is I'm not sure where it's going to go. My second answer is if you give me a magic wand, I'd tell you what I'd like to see. I would love to see an animated series. Um, I think there's a lot you could do with that. Um, I think that you know, and there's some terrific animators. Uh, some terrific examples floating around out there. Um, that's just me personally. One, I love animation, but um, I think that it lends itself very well to uh, to that. I would love to see something along the lines of uh, uh, Tales of the Jedi, uh, an, an anthology series where you gave different writers and different directors a chance, a crack with this iconic character. Um, I think there's so much you could do with that, like an anthology series. So I don't think it necessarily has to be an ongoing chronological series. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see um, some more books. Hey, you know, there's still Short Round is hanging out there. And you, we don't know what happened between the time that we see him in Temple of Doom and when he shows up in the Lost Journal. That's right. Yes. Uh, with, the, with the, you remember, the Peacock side. Absolutely. I have that. Yeah. Yep. And so it's now the 50s and he said, hey, I've tracked it down. It's in Hawaii. And so I'm like... Okay, um, you know there there was this wonderful uh, fan poster going around about the adventures of Short Round or something like that uh, back early in the summer and this late in the spring. I can't I don't remember the artist, but it really captured like you know what would it look like? What if Short Round picked up the torch and went? So you know I think there's a I don't know if you could do a whole movie series like that. I'd love to see more Short Round. I'd love to see more K. I think he's amazing. Um, but, um, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's ways they could go forward. Um, and I'm hoping that they will, because, uh, I, I, like I said, there's so many s still great stories to be told and someone who specializes in the expanded universe with the, with the novels and the comics, you know, uh, they do. Oh, that's another one. I'd love to see a comic series. I would absolutely love to see that. 
Well, Thomas, to say that it has been a pleasure and privilege to have you on the show today is quite an understatement. Thank you so much for taking the time to come chat with me about uh, the educational aspect of Young Indy. Very insightful and very hopefully entertaining for all of our fans out there and perhaps a few educators and historians. Thank you very much. Will, I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, good luck uh, to your continued ventures here with, with the podcast and look forward to turning it, tuning in. Yeah, and keep up the great work. I'm telling you, I wish I was in your classroom as as a as a young high school student. I would have been over the moon to to have somebody uh, like you teaching us about uh, the the World War One under the lens of Indiana Jones and everything you've said today. Just seems really appealing to me. So keep up the great work and. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, uh, please consider subscribing to the podcast, leave a review, tell other people what you think about the show, and most importantly, if this is your first time hearing about Thomas's great success and adventures with Adventures in Learning with Indiana Jones and Indy in the Classroom, make sure to check out his website, IndyInTheClassroom.com. You can also follow him on Twitter as well to keep up with all the great things he's doing. Uh, So thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Once again, I'm Will. And I'm Thomas Riddle. And until next time, so long, Dr. Jones.